The liberals are funding academics to get to the bottom of all this misinformation online. As is the case with every scary movie, including the one Canadians are living through. I think the phone calls coming from inside the house. And then the big boss man, Ezra Levant, gives us a walkthrough behind the scenes in Davos at the World Economic Forum. It's January 15th, 2024. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, but you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. The University of Toronto is seeking someone to do a misinformation study. I'll give them a little bit of free advice. The biggest hotbed of misinformation for Canadians is about five hours east of Toronto in Ottawa. Now, getting back to that U of T contract, the one-year contract to examine misinformation and news consumption in Canada has the potential to be extended for four years. You see that there? One year brings us to the end of Trudeau's current term. If he wins the election, that contract will likely be extended. Or it could be killed if the Conservatives win. As the Trudeau Liberals have dumped over $30 million in four years into the Digital Citizen Initiative for researchers to study what the government determines to be harmful misinformation online, the U of T is embarking on a mission to investigate the scary sources of it. Look at this. The Canadian Digital Media Research Network's mission is to protect and build resilience within the Canadian information ecosystem by investigating how information is produced, shared, and consumed across all mediums. You need these people, folks at home, to protect you from information online that the Liberals don't like. Let's keep going. This survey project is led by an academic team of researchers at the Policy Elections and Representation Lab at the University of Toronto. However, the researchers at U of T really need to look no further than Ottawa to uncover the network of misinformation plaguing Canadians. I mean, who could forget when we were told that the COVID-19 vaccine stopped virus transmission? only to see the multiple jabbed, infinitely boosted Justin Trudeau get COVID every time somebody looked at him wrong. The Liberals have frequently misled the public and <laughs> quite possibly themselves on the content of their own legislation. With Bill C-21, the Liberals' most recent attack on private gun ownership, the Liberals called accusations that the bill outlawed hunting rifles and shotguns Misinformation. The answer is no. C21 is part of our commitment to Canadians uh, to move forward on strengthening gun control in smart, responsible ways. We have frozen the market on handguns. It's now impossible to buy or sell a handgun in this country. Uh, we've uh, moved forward on a ban on assault-style weapons that's been in place for two years, and we're making sure with C21 that uh, assault weapons will never be legal again in this country. The issue that's come up for a lot of people, and I suspect Eric, who sent in the question, is that there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation from the Conservative Party and from the gun lobby about us going after uh, hunting rifles and shotguns. The reality is we're focused on banning the most dangerous weapons, those assault-style weapons that were designed to kill the largest number of people as quickly and efficiently as possible. However, in reality, the law did exactly that, and the Liberals had to then amend the portion of the law after their lies were laid bare to the Canadian public. The Liberal government is in the process of banning over half of the legal firearms in Canada, and possibly even more. This is a result of the May 2020 gun ban and the Liberals' new Bill C-21. Justin Trudeau and Marco Mendicino have consistently claimed that they aren't banning any firearms used for hunting in Canada. We've been very clear that we are not uh, targeting law-abiding hunters and fishers. We're not going after shotguns or rifles. Let me be very, very clear on this. We are moving forward on a ban on assault-style weapons. We're not going after shotguns and rifles that are primarily used for hunting. We are targeting those AR-15-style guns which have been used in mass casualties. The kinds of weapons that are used to kill the largest number of people as quickly as possible. They have also 
consistently claim that others are spreading misinformation, accusing them of banning firearms used for hunting. We are not targeting law-abiding gun owners. We are not targeting those guns which are commonly used for hunting. The Conservative Party is in the pockets of the gun lobby and trying to uh, spread disinformation. My honorable colleague from the Conservative Party can continue to spread disinformation. But in the amendments to Bill C-21 that the Liberals themselves tabled, countless hunting rifles and shotguns will be banned, such as the Weatherby Mark V, the Benelli M1 Super 90, the 1908 Brazilian Mauser, and the SKS, just to name a few. Trudeau later said this. There are some guns, yes, that we're going to have to take away from people who were using them to hunt. When I asked the Liberal firearms expert Murray Smith at committee if hunting rifles would be banned as a result of Bill C-21, he answered, yes. So are the Liberals banning hunting rifles? Yes. They banned some in 2020, and they intend to ban countless more using Bill C-21 and its amendments. And this bill provides the legal ability to ban every firearm left in Canada. These are the easily verifiable facts. Trudeau has also accused Muslim parents of falling for far-right misinformation for objecting to gender theory and sexualized materials in the classroom. But at the end of the day, Muslim parents were just doing exactly what all right-thinking parents should do, and that's making themselves aware of what was exactly being taught in Canadian classrooms with regard to gender theory. And then there's Liberal MP Mark Holland. He had to admit to the House of Commons that he gave misinformation to the chamber when the Liberals asserted that Conservative leader Pierre Polyev could not pass a classified security screening. But we have offered to the leaders of all the parties in the House the capacity to get the security clearances necessary so that they can look at that raw intelligence themselves. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, yesterday during a question period, I'd like to inform the House that I misspoke when I said the leader of the official opposition was offered a briefing on foreign electoral interference. What I had meant to say, Mr. Speaker, was the leader of the official opposition had stated publicly that he would refuse such a briefing on classified information. I apologize for the confusion. Trudeau also claimed it was misinformation that his government was targeting farmers with a 30% reduction in nitrogen fertilizer use. However, internal agriculture ministry records demonstrated that that was a lie. That's not the plan. We are not mandating 30% reductions in fertilizer use. Trudeau has also insisted that his escalating carbon tax would result in lower costs to the consumer and more money in Canadian pockets. If this were said in the private sector, that person would be accused of running an illegal Ponzi scheme. But since it's Trudeau math, everyone just shrugs their shoulders. Uh, we know that climate change is real. We know we have to do what we can to reduce emissions and fight it. But we also know we have to do that in a way that continues to support families. That's why we brought in a price on pollution that is one of the world leading prices on pollution with a model that is unique to Canada that actually puts more money back in the pockets of the average Canadian families than the price on pollution actually costs them in a given year. So not only are we sending clear price signals to, uh, to businesses and to innovators to keep moving forward on reducing emissions and investing in clean technology, but we're putting more money in the pockets of families uh, right across Canada uh, because of this price on pollution. This is a measure that both helps with affordability and fights climate change. So when conservative politicians say they would uh, scrap the price on pollution, what they're actually saying is we will do less to fight against climate change and we will be taking money away from families who are counting on these climate action incentives uh, to continue to find things affordable. Yet, the head of the Bank of Canada, Tiff Macklem, described the carbon tax as one of the leading causes of the inflationary crisis, hammering Canadians' bank accounts as we speak. What would be the effect if the carbon tax what would be the effect on inflation if the carbon tax was eliminated and that would create a one-time drop in inflation of 0.6 percentage points okay so that would last one year and and since you can only eliminate it once 
the next year it would have no effect on inflation. For sure. For sure. Uh, and uh, hopefully next year inflation won't be as a big a concern as it is this year. But um, just to reiterate uh, uh, what you said there, so it would be 60 basis points or 0.6 percent, which uh, currently um, currently the uh, uh, inflation rate is at 3.8 percent. Um, so that equates to more than 10, I think almost 15 percent, if I can do the math quickly. Well, it would be 3.2. Inflation. So, is that that would that would be a, a sizable drop in inflation? It would it would make your job, uh, to quote you, uh, it would be helpful uh, if I can. Uh, would that be correct? It's only going to affect inflation for one year. Yeah, but as so. as, you, as you said, Mr. Macklin, uh, hopefully, uh, and as you forecasted, inflation probably, according to your predictions, won't be as big an issue as it will for a year right now. So if we can get a year's relief out of that, that's Canadians who will be able to keep their houses. That's Canadians who will be able to enter the mortgage bank. That's Canadians who will be able to feed themselves because of a 10% reduction in, in, uh, in inflation. Isn't that so, Mr. Macklem? It'll be down 0.6. And Christian Freeland, the Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance, has said that she defends journalists from state attacks. Journalists are not the enemies of the people. Journalists serve the people. Speaking from my own experience in government, I cannot say that every single question that I am asked by a journalist is welcome or easy to answer. But I am absolutely convinced that the fact that journalists are present to bear witness, the fact that journalists are present to hold governments to account makes governments better. So freedom of the press is an essential human right, and it is an essential element in making democracy strong. However, she refused to defend David Menzies when he was illegally arrested and assaulted by her executive security detail, literally as it happened. Ms. Freeland, how come the IRDC is not a terrorist group? Why is your government supporting Islamo-Nazi? What? You're under arrest for assault. What are you doing? You're under arrest for assault. You're under arrest for assault. Police. You're under arrest for assault. Police, you're under arrest for assault. How am I under arrest? You bumped into me. You pushed into me. You bumped. I was just scrubbing. I've got my credentials here and you just bumped into me. So excuse me. Police, you're under arrest for assault. What is your name in your bag? What is your name in your badge? You've been told you're under arrest. Why am I under arrest? He he, he, he blocked my way. I was just screaming, Christian Freeland. I'm a a police officer. You're under arrest. What is your name in your badge? I'm assaulting a police officer. She also failed to take a stance in defense of a free press when asked about the arrest of David Menzies. What do you make of your security detail uh, arresting uh, David Menzies? So, um... I want to start with what was important about Monday. And what was important about Monday, January 8th, was that was the fourth anniversary of a date that I think forever needs to be marked and circled in black on the calendar of all Canadians. Uh, It was a tragedy for Canada. Uh, Canadians were criminally murdered. And I want to say to the families and loved ones of the people who were murdered that Canada remembers, Canada will not forget. And that's why I was in Richmond Hill, Marcy was there too, to show that this is a Canadian tragedy, that Canada remembers and Canada will not forget. Um, On... The incident, um, as you guys know very well, Canada is a rule of law country. Canada is a democracy. Operational decisions about law enforcement are taken by the police of jurisdiction. Quite appropriately, political elected officials have no role in the taking of those decisions. And that's why I don't have any further comment. All this is to say, maybe I should apply for that contract with the University of Toronto. I mean, any of us from the independent media could because it is our job to hold the liberals to account for their misinformation. I mean, we could apply for it, but 
pretty much nobody at the CBC could. <laughs> Stay with us. The boss, Ezra Levant, gives us a sneak peek from behind the scenes at Davos, Switzerland at the World Economic Forum. much or I, I said it's an unfair question because who will the hell who will the hell you know uh, the the theme of this week's world economic forum meeting here in Davos is I think that's how the locals say Davos um, I don't know I'm mispronouncing it the theme is rebuilding trust and I, at least they acknowledge that they've lost trust but it, it's it's almost a poisonous endorsement if the WEF supports you. They take over this ski village in the Swiss Alps and they transform the center street into, I guess the best way to describe it is like a movie set. And big globalist corporations set up pavilions and kiosks. Behind me is really the heart of darkness, BlackRock. It's run by Larry Fink, perhaps the world's most um, aggressive promoter of cultural Marxism, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. BlackRock has trillions of dollars under management. And what they do, it's really sneaky, Avi, is that they say to the companies they invest in, we're not just here for a financial rate of return. We're going to force you to do, are you interrupting? Are you interrupting us? What's your name? sorry to interrupt, but this is a parking space. I just wanted to ask you to move over to I'm not going to because there's no car coming to this parking space. What's your name? I don't want you guys to get hit by a vehicle. Me neither. Thanks for caring so much about me. I feel like BlackRock really cares. Watch yourself. Okay, what's your name? My name's Julia. Hi. Julia, are you with BlackRock or are you with, yeah? What do you do with BlackRock? I'm not going to go into interview Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Sorry, don't touch me. Regaining trust. To me, I'm looking at this. It looks more of the same business as usual. Pop-up city in a in a town where they're going over the next week to, to I imagine, as usual, tell us that climate change, in fact, their mission statement is one of the biggest risks is misinformation yeah. and um, and and global um, weather events, extreme weather events from climate change. How do you justify this and how do you say this is regaining trust if you're doing exactly the same thing year on year? Yeah, I mean, just as we drove in, we saw them putting the final touches on this gorgeous wooden facade. And I don't, Royal Commission for AIUIA, I don't know what that word even is, or is that Alula? I don't even know, what does it say over here? The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Vision 2030, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Okay, so this is some Saudi thing. Who knows what it is? A lot of Saudi things here over the last few years. Oh, oh, oh. Credible India, empowering 1.5 million. They're obviously hoping to get it, get some of that BlackRock action. There's a lot of very generic sounding groups. Empowering women, igniting prosperity. A group called We Lead. I mean, how are you going to possibly be against empowering women and igniting prosperity without doing a search on it to do a little due diligence? I have no idea who they are, but I got to think it's, um, if it's here at Davos, it's probably some sort of authoritarian or centrally planned economy. Why don't we poke in for a second and just see if they'll tell us? What is this? I'm Ezra. What's your name? Ezra Luca. What's what's this whole thing? We're curious. We walked by and we didn't know what it was. This is an India lounge. It's a woman's lounge. Are we allowed to be in as uh, supporters? Of, because yeah, we not we're not women, but we sure like women. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But they have to like you too. Otherwise, it I have work. mixed mixed luck in that regard. Listen, I'm joking around. So basically, this is uh, you want to talk about it. So uh, it's a lounge that's been set up to uh, speak about uh, women leadership and the role that they play in globalization and uh, propelling the economy forward. 
Uh, it's been set up uh, in collaboration with the Ministry of Women and Child Development Government of India and Bill and Melinda Gates and uh, the CII, Confederation of Indian Industry. So our focus is exactly to understand uh, across various industries and across various sectors, what are all the achievements that have already happened with women leading the charge and what are all the opportunities that are present now can I ask you one question? We love the government of India, and we see there's a lot of Indian pavilions here, and I think that's very exciting, the world's largest democracy. But you mentioned that Bill and Melinda Gates are involved, and they're, and they're, not, they're not as focused on democracy, are they? And, and they really, I'm, I'm nervous about that. Is, is this a way to, to bring in uh, abortion or to have vaccines? Because when I think of Bill and Melinda Gates, I think of social engineering. And I'm just worried because I, I'm worried that this is their doorway into India. Am I, am I being too uh, skeptical? No, we've been working with them for a long time. And don't find a story where there isn't a story. Okay. Well, tell us what they're doing. Why would they, what, what is their goal here? No, 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 you're focusing on them. The well, I mean, you mentioned them. The focus here is on the Indian uh, Minister for uh, Women Leadership. And uh, she is going to be talking about women leadership in India and globally. Mm -hmm. And that is the focus of the whole thing. Okay, well, listen, that sounds positive to me. Yeah. But I tell you, yeah. when you said Bill and Melinda Gates, it was like, blah, blah, blah. No, no, that's why I said, don't look for a story. But there's uh, well, I think there's a story somewhere here. Yeah. <laughs> what is there? Come back again when the minister... When's the minister coming? When the session is happening to find out the real... Okay, and when's, do you know what day that's happening? Yeah, tomorrow onwards it'll happen. Tomorrow, six in the evening, we have a press conference. You are welcome. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're, you're very friendly. Thanks for welcoming us. Well. You're a lot nicer than the guys at BlackRock. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck, ladies, and, uh, and we you. might uh, come back tomorrow. Go ahead. Bill Gates going to come here? No, no, he's not. I don't. I don't. Don't for a story. He's busy. Uh, well, well, we don't. We don't need to look for a story. Yeah. Wherever Bill Gates is, there is a story. He's not yet. Okay. But there are there are many different stories. Yeah. You can come back. We'll come back. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank for you. Welcome. Bye, ladies. Good luck. Keep it up. Bye. Cheers. And 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 the thing is, you can't. You look at those people and you can't fault them when Bill Gates comes in with all this cash yeah. and these people obviously need the money for, I don't know what, I don't know what the organization, I don't know if it's, if, if it's good or evil. I don't know exactly anything about it. You know what? I'm, I'm worried about it. I'm really, I mean, India is not a rich country uh, per capita, but it is an enormous country. It has an enormous GDP, an enormous budget. They don't actually need Bill Gates's money to do what they want to do. And Bill Gates does nothing for free. There's always an angle, an ideological angle. And so it makes me nervous that he's burrowing his way in, not just to our countries in the West, but he's burrowing his way into India. I don't know. I mean, listen, they were lovely uh, ladies, but uh, I was not pleased with what, what, uh, what they revealed unprompted. But I'll give them they, were proud of, they were proud about Bill and Melinda Gates until... Yeah, they kept saying, don't make a story where there isn't. They were the ones who told me. Are you guys with the Ukraine Pavilion? Do you speak any English? Speak a little English? Uh, uh, a little bit. When, when is this open? Is this open tomorrow? I, I think it's tomorrow open, but uh, today... No, no still, being set, still setting it up? Yeah. So is, is the President Zelensky speaking here? Yeah. What day is that? We don't know. Tomorrow. We are not from here. Tomorrow. Wait, wait. Or you just the local folks, are you? Yes. Okay. Do you know that it's our set here? You know that? What do you mean it's your set? Our set. It's our setting. Uh, we try to make a broadcast piece. Okay, you're trying to make a broadcast. All right, so you... Oh, we're, walking here. We're, we're sorry. You are asking our people to... Are we the only one in the world? No, that's not true. I tell you, they're not used to citizen journalists, are they? They're used to everything handled by PR firms and- Never seen somebody get so upset about like walking into a set that I didn't know was a set. And interesting, because it, it's all set up. I, I'm understanding now from the site, they've set up a shot. Got it, so they, those were like actors? And they're almost actors. Okay. How fitting. It's still a little bit of building going on around us. Here's some, uh... Lots of lumber. 
Hi, how are you? Good to see you again. Thank you. Nice yeah, nice here. to see you. I remember we had a great chat last year. Did you see the videos we made? You made a lot of noise. Very good. But, you know, 53 years after the WEF was founded, they have 75 million children working in their supply chains. This is absolutely unacceptable. And we have high officials from the government of Canada, like the Deputy Prime Minister, Christian Finland, who's a member of the world of the board of the World Economic Forum. And this you know, is something important. You know, this is Fernando Morales de la Cruz, who we met exactly a year ago when we were doing the same walk and you introduced yourself to us and you had riveting and terrifying and heartbreaking stories about child trafficking. And I thought, this is the right place to be because a lot of the people here are complicit. Well, they are profiting from the exploitation of 75 million children in their supply chains. And I'm actually being conservative in the figure. The problem is that many of these companies have business models that have actually increased misery, hunger, malnutrition, and child labor. And some of these companies are even Canadian. And right. of course, we have the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, which is a shareholder in Barry Calibout, the largest cocoa processing company. And they are profiting also from child labor by investing in such a company. And I'm sure the Ontario teachers are honest people, but the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan should not be doing these kind of investments. Yeah. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to see you here again. And, and you're proof that not every, uh, there are people here who come to speak truth to power. And I'd put you in that category. Yeah, I'm outside of the web. Yeah, us too. All right, well, nice to say, thanks for coming over to say hello. I'm flattered that you remembered us from last year. You are unforgettable, especially <laughs> because here, you are one of those good birds in the middle of all of this dangerous. Well, you're very nice to see right. Fernando. Thank you very much. So you've got a battle between real journalists. I have no idea if the Davosert Zeitung is left wing or right wing. What I know is it doesn't really matter because AI, machine learning, big data, Facebook, companies that we don't even know their names are seeking to monitor, filter, boost, or throttle every single comment in the world about politics. And not just misinformation and disinformation. Klaus Schwab himself talks about AI replacing elections altogether. There was an incredible clip of him saying, we should be able to detect what the people want and AI can give us the result. It was just shocking. You do not even have to have elections anymore because you can already uh, predict what uh, predict and afterwards you can say, why do we need elections? Because we know what the result will be. But the thing about the World Economic Forum is they really are a conspiracy theorists worst dream come true. But if you just point to what they're saying, the regime media says, oh, no, no, that's a conspiracy theory. No, Klaus Schwab said that. It's not hiding it. And, and I think it's important to note this time, you know, last time we came here last year, and in fact, the last two years, I think, um, there was a big fo focus on climate change. You saw every single branding was about climate change in one way or another. This time it's different. Is that they're, they're regaining trust, I guess. They're, are they pulling away from the the climate, I, I doubt it because they're in, in there, they're still talking I mean, about inflation and poverty. People aren't buying climate change as much this year as they were last year. And this year, it looks like the focus is AI. Is that the natural progression? Is it because that's where they want to go? I don't know, but you're seeing it everywhere. And they're talking about trustworthy, we'll see in a minute, trustworthy AI. Do I trust these guys here with anything, let alone artificial intelligence? No bloody way. What about you, Ezra? You know, I, it, it's, I, I completely don't. I'm terrified that anyone like Klaus Schwab or his uh, muse, Yuval Noah Harari, he's the guy who said the future for most people is just doing nothing, video games and drugs. He called people useless people. I think that the biggest question in, in maybe in economics and politics of the coming decades will be what to do with all these useless people. Problem is more uh, boredom and how, what to do with them and how will they find some sense of meaning in life when they are basically meaningless, worthless. My best guess at present is a combination of drugs and computer games. And that's the future they see for us. But let me point out something. You and I are here as citizen journalists. We caused a bit of a freak out at the Black Rock. We caused a bit of a freak out here and there. You're exaggerating. You were just, for your safety, they had to move us on. We didn't want to get run out. You see the Financial Times, obviously a very prestigious newspaper in London. And across the street there, Axios, do you see that? That's a very large uh, funded 
I think one of the founders of Microsoft, if I'm not mistaken, basically created that as a hobby publisher. And as we walk in further and further, we will see media, Wall Street Journal, CNN. And so you might be saying, Ezra, you said that there was no media scrutiny of this. What are you talking about? There's journalists everywhere. But here's my point, to get that access, to get this access, to have these pavilions, to be part of the insider team, these media companies have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to buy in. So they are not here to, to bury, they're here to praise. They are here on the inside. And that's why people like Albert Bourla love Davos because every single question he's ever been asked in his life has been a friendly softball. It's a and so the citizen journalists like us, and there's maybe a handful of others here, that's we're deeply hated by the Davos elite, if they even think about us, because we didn't pay money to be here and we're not here to suck up and to make friends. We're here to shine a light of scrutiny on what they're what they're doing. Absolutely. Unlike Financial Times, Axios. And we've done it in the last in the last two visits that we've been here. We've um, we've even confronted the mainstream media. In fact, one of these cafes right here was where I met um, the editor of The New York Times and then the next time the CNBC, who then later, if you recall, threatened to bash me. But they are certainly a part of what's going on here. They, they, they're either paying to be here or they're invited as well to speak and to run. They're not asking any critical questions. Here's the Equality Lounge. We went in there last year. And the good thing about the Equality Lounge is you've got billionaires and maybe the odd trillionaires showing up in the private jets and the private helicopters. And you can't get a hotel in this town because they booked them up a year in advance. Uh, we're staying a town away and we're spending thousands of dollars a night. But hey, don't forget, guys, it's about equality. We're all in this together. JP Morgan. JP Morgan, hi. Manfred, how you doing? Oh, you're with CNBC. Nice to meet you. I'm Ezra Levant. That's my friend, Abi Yamini. Nice to meet you. You look like you've given up already. No, you haven't. What are you doing for CNBC? So I'm actually doing a lot of stuff. I'm actually bringing a large purpose network over here along with my editorial coverage on business and global leaders' family issues. But majorly on healthcare, you know, sanitation and water. Mm. And on the are you staying in Davos itself? Yep. Were you, you you were booked in by your company, obviously. Yeah. I bet it's nice to stay here in the city. Yeah. yeah. So basically, we have our studio uh, in Congress Center. Right. So we do our programming from there and variety of other conversations from various lounges. Good. Well, it's nice to meet you. I'm just excited about uh, equality. Yeah, especially McKinsey and Company and uh, JP Morgan, once the, one of the richest men in the world. Yeah, I just I there's a real strong equality vibe here. <laughs> I think they are really making noise. Since last year we saw this and uh, I think last to last summer, when the summer Davos happened, that's when first they made actually mark in Davos and last year they kind of made it much more bigger by getting Deloitte and other big partners. But this year you see the, the names are actually going up and up. All right. Well, listen, good luck in the days ahead. All races, all gender expressions, all gender identities, all ages, all religions, all sexual orientations, all cultures, all abilities, and all mindsets. I, then those bigots left out all species. How dare these bigots be so species-centered? I am full of rage. We are here, Ezra Levant. We, wefreports.com. We actually. I would, it's called the Congress. This is where it all happens. So those clips that you see that comes from in there, there's a, a lot of little rooms in there where all the secret meetings also happen that you don't, you don't see on camera. That is the house of evil. Yeah, and again, even there, there's different layers. There's the sanctum sanctorum, the very inner sanctum. That would be where Klaus Schwab and people like Larry Fink and Christopher Freeland have their private confabs with the Bill Gateses and the George Soroses, those are off the record. Unlike if some of those meetings were to happen in Washington, D.C. or Ottawa, Canada, there's no lobbyist registry here. There's no disclosure or transparency. There's no access to information requests. What's done in Davos stays in Davos. 
um, there are certain things that they want to show the world. And so certain things are live streamed and those are crazy enough. As shocking as they are. <laughs> yeah. And, but I, I think the reason why people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to come here as official guests and with pavilions is because there's so much dirty money and so many dirty deals done here. Um, it, it's really unrivaled that way. I mean, the United Nations, obviously, there's a lot of politics and diplomacy and national security and military stuff. But this is where the Black Rocks of the world and the McKinsey's of the world do their commerce beyond the eyesight of the SEC or the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act or the Foreign uh, Agent uh, Registration Act. This is basically a parallel crypto government. And people always say, oh, when they just because the World Economic Forum says you're going to eat bugs or you're going to own nothing uh, and you're going to like it, people say, well, that, that's not binding. No, but it's certainly persuasive. For example, in Canada's case, if you've got the Deputy Prime Minister, Christian Freeland, listening to all this build back better, great reset, eat bug stuff, and then she goes back to Canada and it pops up as Canadian policy. Yeah, the, the final decision, I suppose, was made in Ottawa, but the, the laboratory for the bad ideas is here. This is a bad ideas laboratory that is being pumped in, in, through the arteries of the world into every country. That's why I'm worried about learning that India has teamed up with Bill Gates on some project because Bill Gates is not a selfless man. In fact, he visited Jeffrey Epstein literally dozens of times. He's a diabolical man. Even after. Yeah. yeah. And so to learn that Bill Gates is involved, that's the poison in the World Economic Forum. And it's not just coming into Western Europe and America. It's being pumped into these developing countries too. As of tomorrow, this will be the closest we get to the inner sanctum. That's literally going to be like a prison watchtower up there where I presume they have facial recognition cameras and all sorts of things. You can see, it's a, as you point out, there's no entry now. Yeah, that's right. So this will be off limits to us tomorrow. Well, that's it for our walk along the promenade in Davos, you know, uh, you can see it being transformed in front of your eyes from this beautiful ski town high in the Swiss Alps to a propaganda engine where storefronts are literally being postered over by different lobby groups and AI groups and regime media. It's quite something to behold. Um, by tomorrow, though, this place will be ready for prime time. And this sign behind us that says no entry well, that's going to apply to us because Avi and I have been denied accreditation. I wrote to the World Economic Forum this year. I said, look, we're coming and we're going to do stories about you no matter what. Why don't you let us in so you can at least engage with us and tell us your side of the story? We're going to be there anyways. Why not have some input? They refused even to acknowledge it. Look, they don't want outside voices. They want people who are compliant with the narrative. That's why tomorrow will be no entry. Now, Avi, this is your third time at Davos. So you're the old hand. This is actually going to be the hotspot for us tomorrow. This is our HQ right here. This is where, you know, anyone that's anybody needs to actually go, whether they want to visit something in the promenade or they want to go to their vehicles. This is the other side that has the hotels, but this is the side that they all come to and proudly wear their tags that lets us know who exactly they are and allows us to put those questions that they're never used to getting. So I'm really excited about a great week and I think the viewers um, can follow all the stories, share all the stories at wefreports.com and I think it's also important to remind uh, our most loyal viewers that this wasn't a cheap thing for us to come. No, we didn't pay the hundreds of thousands to have a, a pop-up storefront but it still costs us just to be here, Ezra. The flights, just for me and Benji to come from Australia was almost $5,000. Yeah. Then on top of that, all the Canadian teams, so the other four yeah. plus the accommodation. The shocking thing is the accommodation. Every hotel in Davos is booked up, every Airbnb. So we're staying an entire town away, but still prices there are... In fact, the place we're staying, the guy puts it for sale just one week a year because he knows he'll make more money in that one week selling to someone who wants to be here that almost covers rent for the year. It's insane, but that's the only way we can be here at, without spending two hours each way in travel time. And I don't want to do that because I want to spend the time reporting, editing, putting out content. And we don't know who we're going to get. 
Last year, we didn't know we were going to find Albert Bourla until we stumbled upon him. We didn't know we were going to get Greta until we bumped into her. So there are national presidents here. There's bank presidents. There's big tech presidents. And we're going to try and catch them in this fishing area here tomorrow. But please help us out. This is the largest financial expenditure Rebel News makes in any journalistic mission of the year because prices are so jacked up for the World Economic Forum. So please go to WEF reports.com whether it's five bucks or 50 or 500 we need the help because i want to keep doing it let me, let me put it this way if we're not going to ask these questions who will i'll tell you one thing it won't be the cbc state broadcaster we'll see you at wefreports.com hard, exhausting work for Ezra and the entire Rebel News team that are right now over in Davos, Switzerland, covering the World Economic Forum. If you'd like to see more of their work and support that trip, you can go to wefreports.com. But besides being hard work, it's kind of fun, right? (laughs) Like it is fun sometimes to not be liked by very bad people. You know, it's kind of good you feel like you're on the right side of something when bad people don't like you and sometimes it's fun to be the skunk at the garden party upsetting their little apple cart and it's an incredible opportunity and I think a huge responsibility to take the concerns of the public of Canada but I think also from North America and of course Australia over to Davos to hold the powerful to account on behalf of the people. And I know that's what Ezra and the team are going to do while they're over there. Now, if we are publishing a video, if we're publishing a news article, you're writing us letters and you're leaving us comments. Uh, You can do that here on one of these, but you can also do that on YouTube, Rumble, anywhere that you're finding our content, leave a comment over there. We welcome them. We want to hear from you because without you, there's no rebel news. Without you, there's no ability for us to do these huge trips over to places like Davos where we can put some tough questions to the bad guys that they definitely weren't expecting in their little safe space over there. Now, today's letters, we've got one to Ezra on his interview with Lauren Gunter, one of the good guys at Post Media, on Danielle Smith's Canada is Broken video in which she goes off on Environment Minister Stephen Gobo's anti-Alberta policies. Kevin9106 writes, Today, Alberta is hovering at minus 40 below Celsius. Just minus 40? Where are you living? (laughs) Where are you living that you're getting such nice weather? It's way colder for us out here in the rural parts. Anyway, our power grid is nearly exhausted. An emergency broadcast was sent out asking consumers to unplug vehicle block heaters. Do not charge electric vehicles. (laughs) Could you imagine trying to use an electric vehicle when it's like sub minus 44, minus 53 with the wind chill? And try to conserve electricity as much as possible. Smith has warned us and our clueless federal government that green energy may sound good, but doesn't cut it during long, cold spells in the middle of winter. And here we are now. So where is the power to come from for all these electric vehicles in the future? It takes years to plan and years to build new power stations. These are excellent points, and this is something that our friends at Friends of Science have been sounding the alarm bells on for a very long time. We don't have the grid right now to support the drastic shift to electric vehicles that the federal government not only wants, but are also mandating, I think, by 2035, that all new vehicles must be net zero. Um, We don't have the capacity on a good day. Now, put in on top of that, the fact that the feds won't let us use coal, they don't want us to use uh, natural gas, they think we can just get by on wind and solar, which is impossible. You are going to see rolling brownouts as a matter of just the course of business in Alberta going forward. And the most ironic part of all of this is, 
the feds don't want us to use coal here in Alberta. And thanks to the NDP Liberal Coalition that uh, ran the show here for four dark, dark years under Rachel Notley as premier. Uh, when we have these sorts of power grid potential crises just looming, you know what we do? We buy coal-fired generation at a premium from our good friends in Wyoming. So we are not allowed to use our affordable, clean-burning coal. We have about 800 years of which under our feet. And I really mean under our feet. You can sort of pick it out of the ground in some places. It comes into the riverbeds. Um, it's so close to the surface and so easily accessible. And some of the most clean-burning coal on the face of the earth. We're not allowed to use it to produce electricity and also create jobs here in Alberta. But if we are in a power grid episode, as we've seen the last little bit, we just buy coal-fired electricity at a premium, I might add, from our good friends in Wyoming. So we're not getting off coal. We're just getting off our coal. <laughs> and I guess getting off the jobs that go along with it. Let's keep going. That was a great, great comment. Leslie Ross, 9729. Trudeau likes to deal with provinces and cities separately and divide them. I think the premiers and mayors are letting him away with it. Canada needs to stick together. No, I have, I'm of two minds here. The provinces, particularly the prairie provinces and the territories. And, you know, like some other jurisdictions across the country too, on many issues from the carbon tax to parents' rights are sticking together. The cog in the wheel of that unity across the prairies, but also across the country on several contentious issues, and they're not really all that contentious. They're contentious in that the liberals disagree with common sense on these issues, is the fact that our cities are generally led by radical progressives. It is the case in Calgary with Jody Gondek. It is definitely the case in Edmonton with Trudeau's former natural resources minister, Amarjeet Sohi, being in charge. It's the case in Toronto. It's the case in Montreal. It's the case in Vancouver. Uh, I believe it's the case in Regina. It. The moral of the story, though, here is if we want things to change, we need to, as conservatives, and I say small C conservatives, I'm, I'm nonpartisan on this issue. But if you care about common sense, personal responsibility, fiscal accountability, and the right for you to determine the way in which you want to raise your kids with your own values, then conservatives have to start paying to politics, paying attention to politics closer to home. So we have to pay attention to what happens at the school boards. All these crazy gender theory nonsense issues. That's happening at a school board level. Imagine if we had a bunch of conservatives on the school board instead of not paying attention to them what, and then progressives get elected and you're like, what on earth are they teaching my children? You had a say. You just didn't take it at the school board election. Municipal politics. We need more conservatives at the municipal level serving as a counterbalance to the uh, NDP farm team that city councils have turned out to be. I mean, I think I can count on my hand on th three fingers, maybe. The loose conservatives on Calgary City Council, like Dan McLean, Sean Chu. Though, I mean, basically, that's it. Sorry, I said three, but I can really only name two off the top of my head. That's a real problem. If you... And, those are the politics that affect you first because they're closer to you. The good news is those are the politics that if you organize, even just friends and family, you can make a big difference there. Cindy Steve Martin 4020 writes, net zero is impossible and unnecessary. Be the first politician to say that enough of this madness. Yes. <laughs> if you need a cold snap of sub minus 45, to teach you about net zero, I'm happy to suffer through it. But let this be the last time we have to learn this lesson. There's no way that net zero is achievable. And it's not even necessary. 
And also, again, I go back to my friends at Friends of Science. They've also pointed out, look, if you are for net zero, and if you are worried about Canada's carbon emissions, and I'm not worried about neither one of those things, but the left won't shut up about it, um, then really, they should be against absolute out-of-control immigration from the warmer parts of the world. Why? Because you're importing people from equatorial places where renewables work. Wind and solar work, sort of the closer you get to the equator and like the days and nights are sort of equal as opposed to uh, the five and a half hours of daylight we get here in the darkest recesses of winter. Um, And it's brutally cold now, but like generally in the winter, every couple of weeks, we're just like, oh, big deep freeze again. You should be concerned because you are taking people with a lower carbon footprint and stuffing them into a country where they're going to have a higher carbon footprint. And Mike, if you care about net zero and the liberals tell me they do, they might want to rethink some of their out of control immigration policies or all of their policies in general. But introspection is not something the left is all that great at. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to see more of Ezra and Avi and the rest of the team's work from Davos, please be sure to go to wefreports.com. And if you're so inclined, if you like the work that they're doing, and if you think it is important to snatch the safe space away from the world's power brokers, the way our Rebel News team is doing in Davos, please consider making a donation at that same website. That's wefreports.com. And since I'm hosting the show, you'll get my sign-off tagline. Don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think. (laughs) 